If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 1. This morning we start a new sermon series called Faith in the Fire. We'll be looking at uh, the book of Daniel the next 12 weeks. There's 12 chapters. We'll cover a chapter uh, a Sunday. But chapter 1 especially sets the, the theme for the book. Uh, gives us a little bit of background, uh, also some foreshadowing of what's to come. So let's read it together. I'll read out loud. I would encourage you to keep your hand here. We'll be coming back. It will be my, my text. And as I read it, I will remind you that this is the Word of God. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration for, uh, from the king's choice food and from the wine he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, in the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. He sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the King, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence, and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. 
As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked to them. And out of them all, he found that none was like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued into the first year of Cyrus, the king. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I know this is a very familiar story. We've, those of us who grew up in church, we learned it in Sunday school. Lord, I can remember the teacher putting the final graph on the board of Daniel and the lions and the three Hebrew children in the furnace. But Lord, I would ask that you not allow the familiarity of these stories rob us of the truth. We'll see that this is a book not about those things, but about you. That you can be trusted. That you can be depended upon. That you overrule the affairs of men. That you are sovereign over even the most powerful kings. So Lord, as we begin this study, I, I, I pray that Yes, you'll help us to appreciate uh, the events that we read and, and Lord, to, to rejoice in the uh, outcome of, of these things, but not to focus on these things, but on you. We serve the same God. We serve the same God as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Amen. We're so thankful. Faith in the fire is my theme for our look at the book of Daniel. Daniel and his three childhood friends showed great faith under fire, great faith under the harshest of circumstances. It is a tale of lions and fiery furnaces, delusional kings and giant fingers, not to mention end-time prophecy. What it's not about, however, is Daniel's diet. I say that because Americans can turn anything into a fad. According to Healthline.com, which I go to a lot, According to Healthline.com, the Daniel diet is a 21-day partial fast based upon a story in the book of Daniel. The, da the diet, which it says is recommended by Chris Pratt, ladies, includes fruit, vegetables, pulses, which I think are beans, whole grains, and water. That's the Daniel diet. All I'll say is that according to the story, it doesn't make you skinnier. But if you look at verse 15, it makes you fatter. Maybe it's my kind of diet after all. Now, in Sunday school, which, by the way, we recorded, and I will send out a link 
Uh, we're also dealing with some of the deeper things of Daniel. And Sunday school, my lesson was, is Daniel a fable, a fraud, or a fact? Maybe I should have added, or a fad. The Bible wasn't written to be a diet book. It isn't to give us tips on self-care and home decor. It is to prepare us for battle, to make us fit to meet our maker. It's not about Daniel's diet. It's not even about Daniel. It's about Daniel's God. Daniel didn't save himself from, save himself from the lions, right? He didn't grab a whip at a chair and cower them in the corner. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't save themselves from the fire. They didn't put on fire retardant suits and a, a fire extinguisher and put out the flames. God did that. God shut the mouths of the lions. God put them, allowed them to escape the fire unharmed. It's not about those things. It's about God. God did it. Now, Daniel chapter 1 gives us a synopsis of his background and a very clear foreshadowing of what is to come in the book. So we see both his past and his future. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Daniel is a story that begins with a tragedy. It's a story that begins with a tragedy. You know that the Jewish uh, religion is tied up with the land. Abraham, God appeared to Abraham and said, leave, this, leave your home and go to a country that I will show you and you will inherit the promised land. You will inherit the holy land. It was all about, about, about the land. The promises were about the land. God made a promise to Abraham that a descendant of David would sit on the throne and rule forever. And where would he rule from? Jerusalem. But, but you see what's happening in the story. They're being deported from the land. The land will be no more theirs. They're, they will destroy Jerusalem. There won't be a king sitting on the throne. There won't even be a, a much of a city left. We cannot appreciate the, the tragedy that this is. This is horrific. Uh, the psalmist tries to show us what it means. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion... Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So Daniel's story is birthed in tragedy. Now we do discover clues in chapter 1 
both about his birth and his death. We discover clues about his, his upbringing and about his eventual demise. He apparently had a comfortable upbringing. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel. Now notice, at this point, they're deporting just some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence of every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had, the who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Daniel was apparently maybe even in the, in the, in the royal line. He was a noble. He was already intelligent. He was um, a good-looking young man. Uh, his friends were. They, they, they had a comfortable upbringing. They, they were part of the nobility. When Nebuchadnezzar ordered his servant to find the choicest young people to bring to the kingdom and teach them the ways of the Babylonians, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the first to go. Their, their, obvious, their, bringing, their upbringing stood out. But that comfortable life ended when Nebuchadnezzar set his sights on Jerusalem. Daniel was just a teenager when he was taken a prisoner of war. We know this occurred in 605 B.C., 600 years before Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar put a siege around Jerusalem. Daniel, being just a young man, a teenager, was, was part of the first of three deportations. Nebuchadnezzar didn't completely conquer or destroy Jerusalem at once. The first invasion was in 605, and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were carried away. The second deportation took place in 597. And in that deportation, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel was carried away. But the final fall of Jerusalem is 586 B.C. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem fell. Uh, the temple was destroyed. So, as you know your Old Testament history, in 722, the northern kingdom was carried away by the power that be at the time, the Assyrians. But the Babylonians beat the Assyrians, and they came and took away the southern kingdom and carried them away in 586. And there is no more Israel. There is no more nation of Israel. The Jewish nation still exists through its people, through its remnant. But as far as the land, it's not, it's not theirs anymore. It's controlled by a foreign power. We cannot imagine the horror of this event. Now, we do have some records of what it was like. Look at 2 Chronicles 36. Go back towards the book of Genesis. You'll find 1st 2nd Samuel, 1st 2nd Kings, 1st 2nd Chronicles. 2nd Chronicles 36. Verse 11. 
2 Chronicles 36, 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke for the Lord. But he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and of the people were very unfaithful following all the abominations of the nations. And they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. In other words, they're about to get what they've sowed. Okay? They've turned their back on God. They've defiled the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar is their punishment. Okay? The Lord, the God of their fathers, verse 15, sent word to them again and again by his messengers. Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, the temple. But they continually mocked the messengers of God. He, they despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians who slew their young men. Now, here, so here's what it was like. Who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. They had no compassion on the young man or virgin old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. And all the articles of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and all of his officials, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all of its fortified buildings with fire, and destroyed all of its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, and there they were servants to him, and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of desolation, they kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. So Jeremiah had warned them, if you don't change your ways, if you don't repent, destruction's coming. They would not repent. They were destroyed. But Jeremiah also told them, you will be carried away and in captivity for 70 years. Okay, 70 year captivity. Um, look at, uh, so let's go to Jeremiah. Go back towards the book of Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, chapter 25. So Jeremiah um, was a prophet who was sent by God to warn them of what was coming. Jeremiah 25, 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon, my servant. Now again, Nebuchadnezzar was not a God worshiper. We'll see that in the, in the book of Daniel. But God was, he was serving God and he didn't know it. Because God was going to bring destruction upon the people for their sins, for their disobedience. So he calls him, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants, against all these nations around about. And I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the sound of the, of the millstones and the light of the lamp. The whole land 
will be in desolation and a horror. And the nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Go to Jeremiah 25, because it's even more horrific than what we've read. Jeremiah 25.10. I'm sorry, 52.10. Sorry. Jeremiah 52.10. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of, of Zedekiah. Now get this. Before his eyes. And he also slaughtered all the princes of Judah in Riblah. Then he blinded the eyes of Zedekiah. So you understand what he did here? The last thing Zedekiah saw was the slaughter of his sons, of his children, and then he poked his eyes out. That'd be the last thing he would ever see. And the king of Babylon bound him in, with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon and put him in a prison unto the day of his death. Israel's sin and rebellion brought this upon themselves. But that does not let Nebuchadnezzar off the hook. It does show us that evil exists. Evil truly exists. There are evil people with evil intentions. Nebuchadnezzar was a cruel man. He was a worshiper of false gods. He was a, poly, a polytheist. These false gods basically are demons. And eventually we'll see Nebuchadnezzar decided he was God. So Daniel's story begins with tragedy. A group, of teenage a group of teenage friends are ripped away into a foreign land dedicated to pagan gods. Go back to Daniel chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Now among them were the sons of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned them new names, uh, gave new names to them. And Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, I have to admit, I do not know why, as we tell the story, that we always tell it with Daniel keeping his Jewish name, but the three Hebrew children, we always tell it giving their Babylonian name. Did you ever notice that? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the name that they were given. But yet Daniel is always referred to by his own name. I don't know the answer to that. If you do, let me know. If you figure it out, let me know. It's always bothered me. I've just always wondered about it. Right? But the names they were given, verse 7. He was, uh, Daniel was assigned the name of Belshazzar. B-E-L was the main god that the Babylonians worshipped. Uh, both Shadrach and Meshach, the Ak part, comes from Aku, uh, A-K-U, which was an, another god that the Babylonians worshipped. Uh, Abednego, the last part, uh, Nebo, again, was a 
uh, Nebu was another god that they worshipped. So they're given pagan names that honored pagan gods. That was part of this acclimation process, this assimilation process that, that they were to undergo. So we have being set up here a clash of worldviews, right? You have, you have a, a, the Judeo belief in one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. They were, they were monotheists versus a belief in many gods, polytheism. Babylon believed and worshipped many gods. The Jews worshipped the God. And this is going to come into play all throughout the book. But even in the face of this tragedy, we see God's sovereignty. We see God's sovereignty. God plucked these four teenagers out of their homeland and brought them to Babylon. And although the king had nefarious purposes, God's purposes won out. Now, we also see details related to his death. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. Daniel 1, 21. <clears throat> Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus, the king. Now, Cyrus came to power in 539 B.C. 539 B.C. If you look at chapter 10... Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So now we're talking about 537 or so. In the, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and of great conflict. And he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. Look at chapter 9, verse 2. In the third year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel survived the entire captivity of 70 years. He served until at least the third year of Cyrus. So he was at least, at least 87 years old when he died. At least 87 years old. So he, he had, he definitely had a long life. He definitely had a long life. He was one of the few characters in the Bible that nothing negative has ever said about him. But we find the story starts in tragedy and it ends in triumph. The story starts in tragedy, but it doesn't end that way. In fact, uh, in spite of all this rough start, Daniel is an extremely optimistic book. Now in chapter 1, we, we begin to see this developing clash of worldviews. Because the four teenagers are faced with a dilemma. Which God will they serve? Which God will they obey? What worldview will they embrace? Will they follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The God of the Bible? Or the popular gods of the culture? Would they stand up for their beliefs or bow to the Babylonian gods? Whom would they worship? Whom would they pray to? 
I'll go back to Jeremiah just for a minute. Jeremiah 29. Because there's a, there's a, Jeremiah had a, a, a very interesting instructions to those who were carried away captive. Now, Jeremiah was the one who predicted it was coming and who predicted it would last 70 years. After Jeremiah was dead, his prophecy came true. They were released after 70 years. We'll, we'll see more about that later. But notice what he told them in, in Jeremiah 29, 10. I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 3. A letter was sent by the hand of Elish, the son of Saphan, and uh, Jamera, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Babylon, sent to, Beth, uh, to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, okay, um, so Jeremiah sends this letter. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, all, to all the exiles whom I, God, has sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what you're to do. Now notice this. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to the husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not increase. Now again, this is within the Jewish context. Okay, Jewish fathers, uh, Jewish sons to marry Jewish daughters. Okay, um, um, verse seven. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Now, that's, that's amazing. In other words, he didn't tell him to go there and mount a, a guerrilla campaign. All right. He didn't tell him to go there and form an underground to try to overthrow the Babylonians. He said, you're going to be there 70 years. You might as well make the best of it. You're going to be there 70 years. Make the best of it. Build a house, plant a garden, have grandkids. Nothing you do is going to change the fact you're going to be there 70 years. So again, verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. Now, obviously, the majority of the people that heard that did not make it back. They died, right? So when... when well, Cyrus allowed these 50,000 Jews to go back after the end of the captivity. These were actually mostly their descendants, which had happened because they followed uh, Jeremiah's advice to have kids and grandkids. So in spite of how bad it was, seek the welfare of the city. Pray for the welfare of the city. So we see Daniel here trying to, 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 to stand in two worlds. Right. Um, he, he, he is being trained in the Babylonian court, but he is maintaining his Jewishness. He's 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 in he's in the um, uh, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, as we all are. As we all are, we're 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 in the world, but not of the world. We are to make the best of where we're at while we're here. OK. Um, but what Daniel didn't do was sell out to that world. And that's why we have the story about the food. I mean, this is, this, how do you fit in without being swallowed? How do you live in both worlds? Um, so the test they undergo now is just the beginning. 
In his later life, they will face their greatest challenges. David will face his lions and the three Hebrew children will face the fire. But first, it was about food. This little test led to much bigger things. But again, it's not about Daniel's diet. It's about Daniel's God. Now, we don't know exactly what it was that Daniel thought would have been improper. Now, we know they had kosher eating laws. But as Daniel looked at the food being offered, he said, uh, no, I want to remain faithful to God. I want to keep this dietary law. So he didn't just, he didn't, you know, I love this. He didn't do a hunger strike, right? Um, He didn't do a march. He said to the one in charge, listen, with your permission, can we just eat this so that we don't violate our conscience by eating that? And here we're introduced to the sovereignty of God again. The commander could have said, no way. I started to say, no way, Jose, but that's, that's politically incorrect. I'm sorry. No way. He didn't. His head was, you know, he says, listen, now I'm risking my neck here. And it, he didn't mean he was going to get fired. He meant he was risking his neck here. Right? But God is sovereign. And the guy said, all right, 10 days, we'll give it a, we'll give it a shot. And at the end of today's, they look better than the other ones. As I've been thinking about these, these four teenagers, um, I've been thinking about these four guys right here on the front. <laughs> right? Their description, good-looking, intelligent, full of wisdom, right? But seriously, who's to say these four guys won't grow up to be Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right? <clears throat> well, we see God's sovereignty throughout the story. Okay, all through chapter one, God is sovereign. It's just, it's just amazing. But, but in this chapter one, we get the idea that lies ahead in the book. Okay, look, look at um, verse four, uh, 17, 117, Daniel 1 and 17. As for these four youths, Uh, God gave them knowledge and intelligence and every branch of literature and wisdom. Now notice, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. That's kind of like an aside here, but that's going to be the the main, that's going to carry the story, the main storyline. So many visions and dreams that Daniel's going to interpret, okay, or receive. Um, Daniel ended up serving in three different administrations, And it all started as a teenager. These teenagers grew into even braver men. But they're not the heroes of the book. God is. God is sovereign. Look at Daniel 4, 17. Say, what is the... What is the purpose of this book? What is the purpose statement of this book? Well, this is it, 417. This sentence is by decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over over it the lowliest of men. 
God is in control. God is sovereign. God appoints leaders and he takes them down. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put their faith on the line. They were determined to do what was right no matter the cost. And man, how God works. But we ask ourselves, where do you draw the line? When do you cooperate and when do you not? When do you say yes and when do you say no? It was God who was at work through it all. It was God who was at work through it all. We must realize that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We belong to God. It's not about Daniel's diet. It's not about um, lions and furnaces. It's about Daniel's God. The God who can turn tragedy into triumph. They weren't being tested by Nebuchadnezzar. This is the irony here. They weren't being tested by Nebuchadnezzar. They were being tested by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What would they do? That's the same God who's testing you. Who will you trust when you're in a lion's den? Who will you trust when you're in the, your faith is in the fire? Let's pray. Again, Lord, this is, this is a hopeful book. I mean, it starts out, the, the background is just horrendous. The setting is, we just don't appreciate it. We, we, we read a couple of verses and, and skip ahead to the good part, but we, we must set it in its, its proper uh, setting. Um, they were ripped away from home and they saw their friends killed and, and their parents probably were killed. We have no idea. Um, Lord, the, the, the king had his eyes put out. His sons and his daughters were slaughtered. Um, this is horrible. Yet somehow you were still in control and somehow you turned it into triumph. And your word came true 70 years later. They were back. Um, back to rebuild the temple. Came back late, some years later to, to rebuild the walls. So Lord, I just pray that throughout our study that um, yes, we'll, we'll see some very exciting, uh, interesting uh, events, but, but please don't allow us to be distracted from what you're doing. You did it in 586 B.C., and you're doing it in 2022 A.D.